He's a retired police officer from Australia. He was shot multiple times, including in the face. He's here to talk about the incident, his recovery, and inspiring story afterwards. Of all the radio stations in the United States, there's only one show like ours, the Law Enforcement Today radio show. And on Facebook, there's only one official page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. That's Law Enforcement Today Radio Show on Facebook. When you get there, click like and follow. Contact is from the land down under, Australia. There's a huge time difference. I think it's about uh, 12, 13, 17, 24 hours difference. I don't know what it is. Daryl Green is a retired police officer. Daryl, thanks so much for your service. And really, thank you for being a guest on Law Enforcement Today Show. Very much appreciated. Good morning, John. It's uh, 2 a.m. here, nice and quiet, and it's a pleasure to join you and your viewers. It's a really good thing to have you here. And I want people to realize this. We've been trying to make this happen for a while. Between Daryl's schedule, my schedule, I had to go to town for a death in the family, all that stuff made it back. And, and he's calling us. So the time difference makes it really difficult. Daryl, there's really no way of, of saying this politely. By the way, his website is twiceshot.com. That's twiceshot.com. Daryl was shot twice and an ambush shooting, including once in the face. And he's here to talk about the incident, the events that night, his recovery process, which is inspiring. And by the way, Daryl, it's not lost on me that you're a miracle that you can even talk about these things, that you're alive, but be able to verbalize it and speak clearly. So I really appreciate it. It's taken a long time, but um, that's part of the healing process. And now I, like others, have helped me and shared their journey. Uh, I'm doing the same. By the way, this was uh, May 1st, 2000, correct? That's correct. 3.50 a.m. in the morning. And you you were not a rookie. You were an experienced officer at that point, weren't you? No, I wasn't. Uh, I joined the police at age 18, and I was uh, 27 years at the time. So you've been around a while. What Was it a routine call? Was it something unexpected? Was it a traffic stop? What happened? It was a night work. So we started at uh, 11 a.m., sorry, 11 p.m. on a Sunday night and just a quick, expecting a quiet shift. And um, uh, about 3 a.m. in the morning, routine job come over the police radio network, or, you know, routine work for us, a death threat. And this had been delivered six hours earlier, so the longer between a threat being issued uh, and it um, it, it being uh, take, and taken, uh, action being taken, uh, the less likely it's occurring. So it was an emergent situation, and uh, we've you know, driven to uh, the uh, complainant and uh, had a conversation uh, with them in relation to it. So this was not a, a, a in-progress call. This was like uh, something happened earlier and they were just reporting it. Correct. It, it was about uh, 9 p.m. on the uh, 30th of April that a death threat uh, was made. Here's the thing, Daryl. That wouldn't make my alarm bells go off. It's not like an in-progress call. We get the calls, and you see it on television all the time, in-progress, armed robbery, bank robbery, whatever, shooting, uh, rape. Your adrenaline automatically goes uh, to sky-high levels, and you start the checklist in your head. What do I do? What do I do? Routine calls, not so much. 
Exactly. There was no imminent threat. So we've uh, driven down a cul-de-sac, basically a dead-end street, and we've had to do one of the things that you never want to do, drive past the offender's address to get to where the complainant was. We met these two males and we started our conversation or investigation with them and uh, they were very uh, skittish and... Their credibility was being called into question, and uh, so we're trying to iron out uh, the facts, what was going on. There's a dog with a painted tail running around. They started to question us, saying, oh, you know, are you two a couple to me and my um, female partner, Charnel? It was just a little bit surreal, and... uh uh, so we are just thinking, you know, your life's being threatened, and uh, you're wondering, you know, um, you know about uh, our relationship status. You know, had you seen me out in the town early in the evening? It was unfortunately, like many people we deal with, you know, they weren't quite normal people, and you know, so we carried out investigation. We're, we're trying to establish uh, the integrity of their information and make a decision: were we going to execute an immediate? Um, search and kick in the door and uh, attempt to locate the, the suspect and the uh, illegal uh, weapon to apparently occurred or if, it, in, if their information wasn't so um, integrity or information wasn't so um, voracious, you know, we'll go to a justice of the peace, place it towards them, see if they wish to issue us a search warrant. So that's what we were in the middle of doing. Well, here's one of the things, and there's some differences between American police work and, and Australian, but a lot of it sounds very familiar. Uh, it, we use the term hanky. You use the term skittish. What that means is, yes. and you can elaborate more, they're just not acting right. Something about them is like uh, making the, the alarm bells go off in your head. Yeah, precisely. They just like weren't like a normal human being. It's just not like you know um, that you're speaking to your your next door neighbour or you're speaking to somebody who has a, a, a normal job and they're speaking rationally. Or in such a situation, they're rational and they say, "Look, I'm actually really worried about my safety. This person's you know, made a threat. I know they have a a, a firearm, and look, I'd really be you know, appreciate if you could look into it." They were going off in all different directions. So we're thinking, look, is there substance abuse involved? Um, you know, we just have to be uh, cautious because, you know, you know you, I certainly don't want my door kicked in in the middle of the night by armed police, by some um, information that's, that's false or that's, you know, vexatious. So there's nothing, I mean, nothing that would just jump out and say, okay, there's an immediate threat of bodily harm, my life, whatever it might be. Nothing jumped out of you. I get the part about substance abuse. I get the part, look, quite often they're drunk. Quite often they're under the influence of something. Uh, they've got what uh, people love to say, emotionally disturbed problems, whatever it might be, and I'm air quoting here, but those people can turn very quickly into life-threatening situations, but usually there's some sort of indication that, that something's not right. Yes, well, alcohol um, was involved. One of them um, was into influence, and, and both of them together, though, um, I would describe you know, skittish, not just me. It was detected by my partner, and the supervisor turned up to the scene with us as well, and he was of, of, of the same opinion. Uh, when you, when you, This was all recorded on radio when the, the, the shooting took place, and um, you can hear the sergeant 
is speaking to um, police communications and uh, one of the, uh, the terms he's trying to describe the people that we're speaking to and the other person fills in the gap and says, what, you know, are they a couple of knuckle draggers? So that gets a little bit of a chuckle when I play that audio. Uh, I'm sure you do. By the way, I'm a proud member of the knuckle dragging ancient police stereotypical cop <laughs> that media loves to put out there. Uh, we are talking with Daryl Green. He is a retired Australian police officer. He was shot twice in an ambush. We'll talk about that more, including in the face, and he received lots of recognition awards through his actions. We're going to talk about the incident more, his lifelong recovery, and the inspiring things he does today. His website is twiceshot.com. That is twiceshot.com. Dot com. His name's Daryl Green. No, not the retired NFL player, but equally as amazing. Has this ever happened to you? You sign up for a free email newsletter, and within hours, you're receiving tons of spam. That won't happen when you subscribe for the free Law Enforcement Today radio show email newsletter. We won't spam you. No more than two emails a week. I promise. All subscribers are automatically entered in all future contests. Sign up at letradioshow.com. Scroll down to the sign-up area. That's letradioshow.com. This is Law Enforcement Today's show. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. Of all the radio stations in the United States, there's only one show like ours, the Law Enforcement Today radio show. And on Facebook, there's only one official page do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. That's Law Enforcement Today Radio Show on Facebook. When you get there, click like and follow. Are you wondering where you can find more great podcasts? Head to letradioshow.com, click Be Heard, and discover other fantastic podcasts like this one. Also available on our free app, all at letradioshow.com. Return a conversation with Daryl Green. He's a retired Australian police officer. He's calling us from Australia, so it's a tremendous time difference. He was shot twice in an ambush. He's talking about that, and including shot in the face. His website is twiceshot.com. Before we went to break, Daryl, you started talking about the audio from your, your supervisor there. There's three cops on the scene, including yourself. People are just are not acting right, but there's still nothing to create the alarm bells that, hey, this is a life and death situation. When did it turn ugly for you? So the, um, the three officers were on the veranda of the male who had been threatened, and we're asking our uh, questions. We, we'd split the two males up, you know, to try and match up their stories and the uh, sergeant Chris Mulhall he's moved down from the veranda to his patrol car so he can use a mobile phone and do background checks on the suspects out of earshot of the uh, the complainant and his um, friend my partner, Charnel, uh, she was in the veranda with me and she moves down uh, to check on our sergeant. So she then comes back to the front yard of the house where I am. She waves me down the steps. So I leave the two males at the veranda, come down the steps, and I'm in the front yard. And I say to Charnel, what's up? And he said, nothing. I just wanted to get you away from those two 
So it was just my partner, you know, looking after my welfare because she knew we were being harangued by these, you know, idiots despite, you know, we're trying our best efforts. We then moved back to the uh, the street and my partners then moved into the front passenger seat of the patrol car, the sergeant's vehicle, and she was leaving, using the police radio to do background checks on the two miles of quarters to the address. So I opened the rear passenger door of the patrol vehicle, sit down and slide across and sit in the middle of the backseat of the patrol car so I can listen to the information that's coming in over the mobile phone and over the police radio network. And we were only going to be there just a few moments. So I left the side door of the patrol vehicle open. It's dark, it's still, it's 3.50am in a relatively good neighbourhood and so quiet you can't hear a pin drop. All of a sudden, I hear this pat, pat, pat sound to my left outside the vehicle, and I wonder, well, what can that be? Well, what shot through my mind, the only thing that made sense was, oh, that must be some neighbourhood dog that's running out the patrol car. So I turn and look and out the patrol car door. But because we have an interior uh, light on in the vehicle, I have no uh, night vision, so I actually cannot see what's outside. And my head is only pointed out that door for a second. Because standing there, less than a metre from me, is a man. He has a .22 calibre rifle levelled at my head, shoots me in the face, shoots me in the shoulder. I am thrown over prone against the um, back seat of the patrol car. I try to open the opposite door, the child locks on, I cannot get out. I sit up, I observe that my sergeant's seat is empty, his door is open, my partner is splattered with blood, she's completely motionless. I scream, get out, I draw my firearm, and I get up and I go out to the door. So what had happened is uh, the uh, offender who was a little bit of a ticking time bomb, and I have his uh, criminal profile that was put together um, when the search was being undertaken for him and he can find out he was just a very loose cannon. He was a ticking time bomb waiting to go. Well, he's just one of those people, you know, that right. something is likely to occur, but until he really, you know, does something major, we can't do anything about it. But just for an example, he was a suspected um, in relation to a number of sexual offences, like going around, peeping into... Um, the windows of um, women and um, looking at them and, and abusing himself. So he was, so he was a, of, a, a, what we call a perv. That's what it, but that a doesn't criminal, mean. Convicted, yeah, a lot of them are not violent. Petty criminal. Most of them are not violent. Here's one thing you said, and we're going to go back to your story in a moment. It sounds like this guy was what we call a fight looking for something to happen. He was waiting and, and anticipating and enticing things to. So he could get angry and explode. Exactly. He made threats. Now, this is before September 11th. He made threats that he was going to take a plane and fly it into Parliament House, which is, you know, the uh, capital for uh, the Australian uh, federal government. And he made claims that he knew our SWAT team tactics and that he could take them out. He was just a, a loudmouth, you know, no hope, a loser, um, who unfortunately had some illegal weapons. So you were shot twice, and you said your partner was, uh, she was covering blood. We'll get to her in a moment. Yeah. 
you immediately took action. Yes, uh, you 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 withdrew your your weapon. You took action, even though you were shot in the face and in the shoulder. Yes, I I didn't even realize. So when I've gone prone from the first round in the face, I didn't even realize I'd been shot in the shoulder. My hands were around my mouth. I felt blood, teeth, and bone, uh, and. I've sat up, you know, adrenaline rush just pumping straight through me, felt no pain whatsoever. I've just, you know, gone into to fight mode. I've had audio exclusion. I couldn't even hear uh, the uh, the further rounds that were being shot into my partner or, or my sergeant. And I screamed to get help. I knew the situation was uh, d- dire. Uh, so I've, I've drawn my service weapon, gone out to the door that I've gone through, and I went into fight mode. I wanted to find and confront that gunman. And I, when I professionally speak now, I, I role-play the incident, and I, and I play a segment of, of this audio, and I have to make uh, a... I say to the audience... Uh, <laughs> Please excuse me for the language I use. I normally do not use this in polite company. I dropped the F-bomb, and sorry, ladies and gentlemen, I also dropped the C-bomb. Yeah. But as a dear lady friend who I warned before, she had the audio said to me afterwards, Daryl, if there is ever a time to use a C-word, that was it. Yeah, I look, I, I tell people, and I can't explain it. Maybe you understand. I'm sure you do. When I had really life-threatening situations, I became extremely angry. I'm not talking about the anger that we have in everyday life. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about almost a primordial anger, and it's not like television. It's not like the cool guys, the Clint Eastwoods. I'm saying all kinds of things, making noises, and just literally seeing red. That's exactly right. I was um, had a feeling of rage. It was such a gutless, cheap shot. And then I wanted my chance, you know, and to um, try and uh, retaliate. And you, you hear that on the audio. Uh, when I play it, uh, I say, you know, I use drop the F bomb, I drop the C bomb, I call him a few names, and, uh, and I say, you know, you know, come back, you know, it's, it's my, my turn, etc. So that's actually on my website, the full audio, which goes for about six minutes of this and speaking taking place. of the website, you can find it. His website is twiceshot.com. That's twice shot.com. We're talking with retired Australian police officer. Daryl Green, he was shot twice, including once in the face, and he's here to tell more about the story, what happened that night, and the long recovery, and what he does today. This is Law Enforcement Day Show. Lots of great things heading away. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. I have some exciting news to share with you. You are going to love my Your Diet Do-Over Do-It-Yourself course on HarmonyWithFood.com, which means you could do everything at your own pace. I put my heart and soul into this course. Have you been on every diet there is only to gain the weight back? If your relationship with food is, well, not that good, you should purchase the Your Diet Do-Over course. Go over to HarmonyWithFood.com, click the Your Diet Do-Over tab, and get started today. If you're on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app be sure to look for me and follow me my name's john the letter j wiley w-i-l-e-y you can also search for at l-e-t radio show that's john j wiley w-i-l-e-y at l-e-t radio show on the clubhouse drop-in audio chat app 
Back to our conversation with Daryl Green on the Law Enforcement Today Show. Daryl's retired Australian police officer. He was shot twice, ambushed and shot. His partners were shot. And he was talking about that. By the way, his website is twiceshot.com. Before we went to break, Daryl, you started talking about you, you, the auditory exclusion, the adrenaline, the anger, all that stuff I can relate to. And the auditory exclusion, for example, I tell people this all the time. One of the last incidents I was in, I had a partner in the car with me, and he started yelling. He said at the top of his lungs, don't get out of the car. And I'm, I, to me, it sounded like a voice on a TV in another room. I didn't really even hear what he said. I just was vaguely aware that this guy was talking to me. So it's a very real thing. The, the, what I got to ask you is when you responded to this uh, life-threatening situation, did things slow down for you? Yes, I can remember crystal clear. Um, and I can remember now exiting the vehicle, yelling out to the offender, you know, searching for him, circling around into this cul-de-sac and coming into the, the middle and then thinking and, um, and making a, you know, a, a snap assessment. I, I know where my partner is. I, I don't know her condition. She's in the front front seat of the vehicle. But my sergeant, I don't know where he is. Is he lying weird in the street? And I'm thinking, do I you know, uh, attend to my partner? Do I search for the sergeant? And I've made a uh, snap uh, decision uh, because you know, in, in times of crisis, you, you need to make an assessment and, and then make a decision and, and then act on that decision with um, full force. I walk down the street yelling out, Chris, 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 with my firearm out. I see movement to my left. It's a uh, figure in white. I put for my, my firearm and a lady shouts, don't shoot, don't shoot. And I you know, give, give her a direction, get back in the house not my client, finest client service interaction. I then see movement on the other side of the street. I wheel around into dark silhouette of a human figure. And so I'm getting, you know, trying to look for a weapon, look for hands, etc., cetera, uh, signals, and I'm moving towards it. And fortunately, she sat down, don't shoot, that's my husband. I give him the same direction. I cannot find... Uh, my sergeant, I cannot locate the gun. I turn around and there's a long walk back down to the patrol car. It's only like, you know, 20, 30 metres to the patrol car. But I remember being one of the longest walks in my life because I didn't know what I was going to find. And I get to the bonnet of the patrol car and I rest on the bonnet with my right arm holding my phone. With my left hand, I'm holding my mouth, trying to staunch the flow of the blood. I'm looking through the windshield of the patrol car at my partner. And it was music to my ears. And she shouts out, Greeny, I'm hurt. Greeny, I'm hurt. And I yell at her, Shah, it'll be all right. It'll be all right. (laughs) Years later, and I can now joke about this, she confided in me. At that point in time, she was thinking, Greeny, we don't know where our sergeant is. There's a gunman on the loose. You're pouring blood from your mouth all over the bonnet of the patrol car. You're not very reassuring. <laughs> That's that, that gallows humor that, that police them. I'm glad to hear that it's a, a national or international thing, not just a local thing. <laughs> no, ex- exactly. You know, um, yeah, you need to, those lighter moments, you know, um, when it's, when it's, um, when things get incredibly heavy. How badly, in, we know you were severely injured. You're shot in the shoulder. You're shot in the face. You said you're bleeding from the mouth. Teeth are missing. All that sorts of stuff. You looked at your partner. What kind of shape was she in? 
She was in extreme pain. So you can hear her on the radio. She's calling for assistance. And eventually, so what occurred next was I'm standing guard over her and eventually I hear sirens in the distance. And I'm like, you know, the cavalry is, you know, coming to our assistance. Those red and blue lights, like, and for whatever people think of police, there will always be some young officer or some young, you know, a sheriff who's going to, you know, put um, your life uh, before theirs and come to the rescue. And a single officer patrol came down the street, bravest man, uh, Brett Price. He didn't follow procedure. He didn't stop his vehicle, put on a bulletproof vest and insert a ballistic plate. No, he wanted to get to us as soon as possible and was expecting to find one dead officer. So I've moved to the side of the Charnel um, a few moments before this vehicle arrives just to try and comfort her and ascertain her condition. And uh, I give her a direction to um, you know, turn the red and blue rotating police lights on. I figure, well, the offender definitely knows where we are. Our, the people coming to assist us, our colleagues, they need to know where we are. So I said, you know, light us up. The lights have gone on. The car has stopped uh, in the middle of the street about you know, 30 metres away, and I go and move towards this vehicle. At the same time, my partner... Uh, she tries to help. So she tries to actually get out the vehicle, uh, but she's in such bad shape she can't. She collapses and falls in the gutter. Uh, she's so badly injured because she'd actually taken six rounds in the twenty-two rifle. By a miracle, not one vital organ was hit. Her left leg, her left arm, her right knee, right hand, left side of the body, left side of the face. Again, as you say, like, this literally was a, a miracle because the sergeant, he took two rounds and he was able to exit the vehicle, make his way to a house where a light on, gain entry and call for backup. Wow. The first officer I, I've met in the middle of the street and... I was in uh, such a state, I was thinking that, you know, uh, that I didn't have the, um, the the pain was now, the adrenaline was starting to go, and the pain was starting to kick in. I was thinking, I don't have that wherewithal to make that life or death you know, decision with my firearm. But he realised we all needed our um, firearms in case he was injured, so he um, uh, yeah, said, no, hold on to it. And he moves back with me to where Charnel is. And so we're both lying, all three of us are now on the footpath outside the patrol car. It's Charnel on the left, Brett in the middle, and me on the right. And uh, shortly after, uh, another patrol vehicle turns up with two more officers. Then the first ambulance arrives, and I waved in Charnel, and Brett ensures that uh, she's the first one who's treated and extracted from the scene. And the second ambulance attends, but they parked at the end of Hamber Street, and they were asking for a corridor of safety. And by this time, I'm in extreme pain, and uh, one of the officers was uh, accompanying uh, was accompanying me was uh, Senior Consul uh, Dave Hornby, who was a, a former. Um, Royal Marine uh, from the UK, and uh, so he had a lot of you know, uh, military experience and, and being in, in Northern Ireland, so he'd been in situations like this. So he's speaking to me very calm, uh, calmly, but then he was on the radio speaking to our communications to encourage the ambulance communications to tell their officers to move up the street. We couldn't provide a corridor of safety. It was dark. We didn't have the police resources. The gun was on the loose. We didn't know where he was. They're at the end of the street. They're up like a Christmas street. The safest place for them to be was with us up the end of the street where you actually had armed police that could provide protection. 
They drove up, patted me down for my injuries, loaded me into the ambulance, extracted me from the scene, and then drove me to the house where Chris was. Wow. And so how long did it take you to get to a hospital? Chris has jumped into the back of the uh, ambulance, and he said, said, Greeny, do you believe this? And I was an incredible amount of pain, and I say no. And the next thing, he said, boy, that's a big needle. At the time, the Queensland Ambulance Services was changing over the ambulance officers to paramedics, and uh, I uh, I was fortunate to have a paramedic, and Charnel did not have a paramedic, so they couldn't uh, give her instant pain relief. And uh, when I do speak, it was so funny, I was... uh, um, only yesterday, I was in New South Wales delivering a, a keynote address to the New South Wales Ambulance uh, Service, uh, uh, the Officer in Charge Conference. And I, I thank the paramedics. Hey, guys, thanks for the greatest hit of drugs I've ever had in my life. Now, it was instant pain relief with that needle. We're talking with uh, retired Australian police officer Dal Green, shot twice, once in the face, once in the shoulder. His partner and his sergeant were also shot as well. His website is twice shot.com that's twice shot.com we'll tell you why that's important in just a little bit this is law enforcement today's show we got so much more to talk about don't go anywhere we'll be right back want to win great prizes in awesome contests who wouldn't want that it's easy just sign up and subscribe for the law enforcement today radio show email newsletter we won't spam you no more than two emails a week I promise. All subscribers are automatically entered in all future contests. Sign up at letradioshow.com. Scroll down to the sign-up area. That's letradioshow.com. We're all over social media. Be sure to like and follow our Facebook page, Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. We're on Twitter. Follow us at LET Radio Show Podcast. And on Instagram, look for LET Radio Show Podcast. Of course, don't forget our website, letradioshow.com See you there. This is Law Enforcement Today Show. I'm John J. Wiley, joined by special guest Daryl Green, retired Australian police officer contacting us from Australia. He was ambushed, shot twice. His partner was shot multiple times. His sergeant was shot multiple times. His website is twiceshot.com. This gentleman is a walking, talking miracle, and his name is Daryl Green. Daryl, before we the break, you talked about uh, the paramedics gave you a shot of some painkiller, and I'm assuming at that point you kind of were in a blur or didn't really realize what was going on. Am I correct? Uh, In in a blur, correct. You know, stunned and dazed is how I would describe it. Yeah, so you get to the hospital. How long of a recovery and treatment? First of all, what was the diagnosis, the injuries you had? Um, just to, to wrap up the offender, a three-week three manhunt took place, and they eventually found it in Bushland. The coroner ruled within 24 hours um, this man had taken his own life with the gun that he shot us with. But Brisbane was on edge for those entire three weeks. I'm sure. I was the first one operated on in hospital because my head wound was deemed the most serious and they took three hours to extract a bullet from my head. So it had smashed the maxilla bone, five teeth, into my tongue and lodged into my throat. And they sliced into my shoulder and removed that round. I've had a tracheal even to help me breathe. But um, I, ended, I underwent... Um, 
17 major surgical procedures, uh, and the first reconstruction actually failed. And, uh, and when I was given that news, I was quite shocked because I'd been through it once and I knew what I was going to go through it again. And the last um, orthodontic work was carried out in 2017, 2007, seven years after the shooting and the reconstruction was finally deemed a success. Like the reconstruction was so intrusive and I stepped people through those um, procedures with on models. It was in fact a second trauma. But that was the physical side. Uh, the mental side was initially I was stunned and dazed, but uh, seven weeks after we were shot, another officer, Norm Watt, attends a domestic violence incident. He's a recantant dog squad officer, and he shot once in the leg, bullet severs his femoral artery, and you literally have four minutes to live unless the blood flow is stopped. Help did not arrive in time for Norm. He bled out. Chris Charnel and I, we all shot multiple times and lived, so I suffer survivor guilt. My mortality starts to question... Uh, my uh, survival and I'm hit by the full fury of PTSD. Right. right. But, uh, fortunately, I'd spoken to another officer on patrol a couple of months before I was shot who was involved in a shooting, and he said to me, Grinny, mate, you know, things have got you know, um, you know, so bad, I'm seeing a psych. And that gave me the courage to reach out and ask for help. Because initially, I, I thought that I was um, going crazy. Like, I'd go to a, you know, afterwards, you know, you look at me, you think I'm just missing, I had a scar on my face and missing a few teeth. I'd go to a night venue with friends, try and draw a quiet drink. All of a sudden, you know, my heart raises, my pupa dilates, I'm extremely agitated and I've got to leave to calm down and recover. Later, with professional help, when the flashing lights of the night venue caused my subconscious to call the rotating red and blue lights on the night of the shooting. This causes my uh, uh, body to uh, go into survival mode and leave the venue to calm down and recover. So uh, asking for help was the uh, first major step. But what really helped was talking to people with similar experiences. I was very fortunate that there was a police psychologist, Chris Mankler, who was a Vietnam vet, who tripped a booby trap in that wall, was very badly injured but recovered, but had mental health problems, um, became dangerously suicidal, but um, in, he sought help and in time wanted to help others become a um, psychologist. And um, so I was talking to somebody who would walk the walk and then had the knowledge to explain to me my reaction to the shooting was a normal reaction to a very abnormal event. And I'm incredibly grateful to, to that man for being so open with his experience and you know, normalising my reaction, the hyperarousal, the dreams, the insomnia, the sexual dysfunction. One of the things that... that I can really relate to and, and took these same kind of cats to really help me out. Uh, combat veterans from Vietnam, because I'm an older guy, was the extreme anger. And that I was always trying to, to, to medicate and get myself to some sort of level of calm. I couldn't seem to control that. Was the anger a big issue for you? Huge. I had a huge amount of uh, anger. And one of the reasons was because I went out to confront this gunman who I just felt was gutless and I had this deep burning um, desire to confront him and I was never able to. And, and I wanted, when they located the body, I wanted to go and see the body. And unfortunately, um, I was not allowed to go see the body. I was speaking to the, our police union uh, who were very supportive and very helpful and they spoke to the, the, the police uh, service and they said, well, you know, Daryl can attend the morgue and, and see the um, a, a offender's body. And this was supported by its psychiatrist. And unfortunately, 
the police service actually backed out of it and said, oh, look, you know, we don't own the morgue. That's the Department of, of Health. Um, this is not possible. And I was very disappointed in that. And so the psychiatrist thought, well, the next step is, well, can we have photographs? And psychiatrist wrote to the service. They sent a, a number, of, small number of photographs. He wrote back and, and asked for more, and he was ignored. And I became extremely uh, angry. The Vietnam vet, who was a psychologist, he went with uh, his manager, because he's actually an employee of the police service as a psychologist, to see the senior officer, assistant commissioner in charge of the region about um, supporting me. And he had this meeting and he came out of it and he said to me, this person is a dinosaur. They think that you should just have a beer and forget about it. He cannot understand what you're going through and uh, I don't know what to do. But fortunately, um, there was an officer uh, I was actually involved in a serious incident with uh, and that was actually um, on the way to an urgent job and um, somebody turned in, did a U-turn in front of us and we, we had a uh, very significant uh, traffic crash. And this officer was in scenes of crimes and I was explaining to him one afternoon at uh, a local pub about my frustrations about what the medical were, were, um, specialists were recommending and the blockages I was receiving from the department. And he said, Greeny, mate, I had the full role of all the photographs from the crime scene at my office, mate. I'll print them out and give it to you. So, you know, he did, you know, the, the went against policy and did the, uh, the, the, the mole on the right thing, gave me a set of photographs about three inches thick. I didn't open it. I took them to my psychiatrist and we opened up and we worked for them step by step to help, you know, me mentally realise the offender is no more, that, you know, to help that um, hyperarousal and help my anger. How would you describe your life today? I love it. I'm doing what I love, keynote speaking. I've uh, served the community for 30 years. I had an amazing boss who came into my life and uh, helped support me, Dave Stinson, and my support about... And, and my last keynote uh, was about supportive leadership, and so there was a lot about this inspector, uh, Dave Stevenson. So I was able to continue on, stayed in the police 20 years after the shooting, retired in December uh, 2020, and... Fortunately, um, I had a breakthrough um, in 2006. A, a, a officer I worked together in a watch house, which you call a jail, he was a recruit instructor. He asked me to speak to his recruits, and they were a bit of people were a bit afraid to speak about the shooting. Well, this amazing inspector said, "Well, why don't we ask Daryl? Let's empower the man." I agreed to speak to the recruits. He asked me, "Hey." Greeny, can I come along, sit in, listen, might help me be a better man for you. He sat in, he built uh, trust for me, we were able to hold courageous conversations uh, and he you know, helped me back onto my course to refocus my future on policing and uh, of course I started to speak to police recruits, this was very well received and I got asked to speak outside the police to corporations and uh, eventually I got introduced to the peak speaking body in Australia in 2015 when I, I was awarded a 12-month scholarship to develop me as a professional speaker, and that's what I get to do today. So I'm uh, very fortunate. Are you available to yep. do um, any kind of uh, speaking engagements here in the United States? I am. I am uh, listed with Speakers uh, Inc., 
um, which is just outside uh, San Diego. So that's um, who represents me in the United States. There's a lovely couple there, Duncan and uh, Brogdon uh, Hesscoat. So that's uh, speakersinc.com. And so, before we leave, uh, we're running out of time. What is your website? And because there's all kinds of great information on there. Yeah, my website is twiceshop.com and my uh, email, my mobile is on there and also there's uh, there's my you know, show reel of me speaking. There is the audio of the, of the shooting. Um, there's you know, you've seen, you know, some of the documentaries I've been involved in and I've also got my top seven resilience tips because I had to learn you know, the hard way how to take, you know, um, you know care myself we'll have to have you back to talk about that we're out of time daryl green uh, his website is twiceshot.com thanks so much for your service and really appreciate you coming on the show telling us all about it thank you so much john it's been an absolute pleasure and uh, i look forward to the next time in the united states and i can uh, share this audience i'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the law enforcement today radio show The Law Enforcement Today radio show is a nationally syndicated radio show broadcast on numerous stations once a week and growing. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, please do me a big favor. Tell a friend. I'll be back in just a couple days with a brand new episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. See ya.